Am I Reister or am I wrong? I'm probably Reister, but if not, leave a comment. We learned a lot this weekend in sports. In the NFL and in college football, we learned about Russell Wilson, Tua, the Falcons, Jim Harbaugh, and a bunch more. USC's air raid offense is trash and needs to go. These conference-only schedules are leaving coaches nowhere to hide. Cal's football season is being derailed by the city of Berkeley, and they're going to have to move. Notre Dame's rushing the field by their fans after they beat Clemson. We're going to compare and contrast that with the election celebrations and the coronavirus. My college football rankings and the MLB and Rob Manfred, the commissioner, are weak as hell. They have no power. It reminds me of Michael Scott from The Office in the episode of Basketball. And of course, my parting shot. Am I Reister or am I wrong? It's the intersection where sports, business, society, and pop culture meet the truth. Daily fire on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Facts only here. Make sure you check your feelings at the door because there's no BS allowed. I keep it 100. Make sure to, you guys, leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can email me, gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com. Make sure you subscribe, tell a friend, and most importantly, share. However it is that you share info with your friends, because this is insider knowledge. Um, And you can listen to me as well on the Pac-12 Apostles podcast, wherever podcasts are found and Fox Sports Radio, 2 to 5 p.m. on Sundays at 5 to 8 Eastern Time and weekdays filling in. Okay, so we're going to start out with things that we learned in the NFL this week. One of the things that we learned is with the Atlanta Falcons, that Dan Quinn, he was the problem, and Raheem Morris should be their new head coach. They started the season 0-5, with so much talent on the roster, but now they've won three of their last four games. And sometimes in life, like you need a new voice. And Dan Quinn's voice had gotten stale. And I've experienced this in in my own life with my own kids, because like I've coached my kids before, particularly my 14 year old son. And now sometimes I'm like, no, I need to send him to somebody else because granted kids talented, but it gets repetitive here in dad's voice. And that's the situation in Atlanta. It had run its course with uh, with Julio Jones. It had run its course with Matt Ryan. It was over. There was nothing that he could do. And now they're playing better. Hire the guy who now has a potential to even take you to the playoffs. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks with Russell Wilson, the whole let Russ cook thing, everything it, that's absolutely amazing. They're doing great. But the problem is their defense is a liability. So this is not new news. We didn't learn this this weekend. But we but what we learned is, is that even a superhero like Russell Wilson needs some damn help. And his team is not helping him at all. The Bills hit him 16 times, sacked him four or five times. It was absolutely ridiculous. So what did we learn? That they have to fix their damn defense. This is the same situation we had with Kansas City last year 
and they went on to win the Super Bowl. So I learned that I still feel confident about Seattle winning the Super Bowl this year against the Kansas City Chiefs, but they better fix that damn defense, I tell you that much. We learned that Dalvin Cook, despite him thinking he's the best running back in the NFL because he run for, had almost 500 total yards in the last two weeks and six or seven touchdowns, he's the second best back in the league. It's Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, the white running back, is the best. I know it's hard for people to, to see it and admit it, but dude is cold. And I remember when I first saw him at Stanford, not Toby Gerhardt, who was actually a really good running back too, but seeing Christian McCaffrey play. Because there is some bias. There's some natural bias against white running backs. Same way it is white receivers, white cornerbacks. They're like, oh, he can't be that good, right? No, the dude is absolutely legit in every way, shape, form, and fashion. Uh, He's the best running back in the league. He proved it, came back after six or seven weeks out. Dude came up and put up an absolute gem, catching the ball, running the ball. They lost, but he clearly was the best player on the entire field. Um, Last week, we talked a little bit about Tua Tagovailoa in Miami. And what we learned with Tua this week was, so last week he went like 12 for 24, 98 yards, a touchdown. It wasn't very impressive. And what the Miami Dolphins are doing with him is drawing parallels to me to what happened with Ben Roethlisberger in in Pittsburgh and what happened with Russell Wilson in Seattle. They're using their defense. They're using their running game to win football games. And then they're letting the quarterback add a little bit of value. He doesn't have to be the superhero. He doesn't have to be the guy to win the show. And that's where Russell Wilson is coming in. I'm sorry, where Tua came in. He did a better job than he did last week. And he made a few plays. Like they didn't ask him to win the game for them. They just asked him to come in, don't burn the house down. And that's what you have been seeing a little bit with with, uh, Fitzmagic. He will throw three interceptions, but he'll throw five touchdowns. They want to cut down the turnovers, and they believe that they have a better chance to do that with Tua. And it showed. Now on to what we learned in college football this week. These conference-only schedules, they provide nowhere for coaches to hide. Nowhere for teams to hide because there are no cupcakes. You can't patch your stats. You don't get free wins to make bowl games or be bowl eligible. There's nowhere to hide. Like fans don't get to fake to fake feel good about their teams. They're taking more losses earlier in the season. And that's hard for some people to stomach and swallow, but it is the actual way that college football should be. There should be the 10 conference games, period. The 10 conference games for the Power 5 teams. The Big 12 may have to expand, but you play each other. And then you get two non-conference games to make 12. They can either both be against Power 5 schools or one G5 and one Power 5 team. But no FB, no FCS teams, none of that, dude. This is the way college football is supposed to be. It's hard for fans to accept because they're like, oh, I want my team to be better. 
No, now you actually get a truer sense of where your team stands because you don't get a chance to pad your stats with with Middle Tennessee State, the uh, uh, UT San Diego SCFTC, whatever it is. You don't get to do that. Now you got to show up, play, and ball out. So teams like Michigan with John Harbaugh, I'm sorry, with Jim Harbaugh, James Franklin at Penn State, they're not feeling real good right now. You have teams like Nebraska. They're not feeling real good right now because you didn't get a chance to, you know, lose your non-conference game and then and then you're at, uh, beat up on two patsies and then you're two and one. And you're like, okay, we're feeling good. We're all right. We're all right. And then you beat a bad team in your conference. Then you're three and one. Then you play a tough team, three and two. And you still feel a little bit better than being 0-3 in your conference or 0-2 in your conference. But – this is the way things work. This is a true sense. And I love it. I love it for college football. That's why people at Georgia, they're starting to see the writing on the wall. That Kirby Smart, their new head coach at Georgia, is the same as Mark Richt at Georgia. They're not getting over the hump. They're not making the right quarterback moves. This is a problem. You choose, you, They chose up. They chose Fromm and Eason over Justin Fields. Bad move, buddy. Now now you're reaping the benefits. They wanted to play conservative football, and now you got what you got. Now I want to move on to what I learned about USC. I have been on this train for quite some time about USC and their air raid offense. Their air raid offense is absolutely, it, it, it makes me upset watching them. Because USC has no business running the air raid offense. No business at all. But why But why is that, George? They have no business because the air raid offense is an offense that is a gimmick offense that is set up for teams. And I'm talking about specifically in college. In high school, it's different because of you, you can't get quite as much film. There's not as much study. All that. So... It's a gimmick offense for schools with lesser talent to be able to compete with the USC's of the world. Like it's a gimmick that way, if you don't have the offensive lineman to be able to run the ball, you use these extended handoffs, you run it, all that. And it is tremendously easy for even just disciplined defenses to stop. You have to play zone coverage, play soft like Arizona State did against them, come up and tackle, And you will shut the offense down, which is what you saw against Arizona State. Their offense was absolutely just shut down. They they couldn't run the football, which the air raid doesn't allow you to, too. So USC is a five-star program. They don't have the offensive lineman because they're running the air raid. They don't want to run it. So that's the problem. Like, yes, it looks fancy. They think they're going to score a billion points. But it makes the field short, especially when you get in the red zone. The spacing is weird. You And football is one of those games. At some point in time, you have to line up and just run people over. Like You have to just say, look, I'm just running you over. As Marshawn Lynch say, run through an MF's face over and over and over and over again. And they can't do that at this point in time. The other thing that we learned is that Notre Dame is a good team, that they are for real. 
they didn't look over match versus Clemson athletically, except for maybe at the wide receiver position, but Clemson's secondary is not quite as good this year. So I want to give Brian Kelly, their coach, who I have been down on for years, a big leg up. I mean, he's doing a great job, tough academic university, tough to get kids in, tougher to get kids in at Notre Dame than it is at Alabama. He's doing a great job. And he, this is probably his best in terms of athletically, his best team that he's had since he's been at Notre Dame. And they are a legitimate national championship threat. Don't give me this about that Trevor Lawrence was out because they replaced him with a five-star who's going to be an NFL player too. Just stop it. Um, And BYU. Okay. Before we get to, actually, as we're talking about BYU, because they are a really good football team. But the idea, so I heard um, Pollock on College Game Day talking about how the Pac-12, he doesn't even need to see the Pac-12 play. We're not getting in, that they're not getting in the playoffs no matter what, and that he would pick BYU over them. And this is a classic sign of why availability matters. Because the Pac-12 wasn't available until this week in terms of nobody had seen them play. They were the last conference to come back. Yeah, the last few years, the least amount of eyeballs on the conference because of uh, television rights, not being on direct TV, not being on Hulu TV, YouTube TV, any of that. So the least amount of availability, which allows people to write a narrative about you. And while David Pollack was completely off base, I mean, like, how can you say you're objectively doing your job? if you won't see other people and have an idea in your mind. But BYU is for real, though. They crushed Boise State. Their quarterback, Zach Wilson, is showing out, and that's what we learned in college football this week. So here's my top 10 for college football this week. We have uh, Notre Dame number one, Alabama two, Ohio State three, Clemson four, Cincinnati five, BYU 6, Florida 7, Oregon 8, Indiana 9, and Texas A&M 10. Uh, Talk to your pastor if you have a problem. (laughs) Um, Next thing up, Notre Dame. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish. After they beat Clemson, it was a great game, fantastic football game. I'm sitting there watching their fans rush the field. And I'm sitting there like, wow, this is incredibly stupid. This is incredibly stupid. Like, why would you let fans rush the field knowing that we're in the middle of a pandemic? How does that make sense? Like, why do you think that that's a good idea? And the reason why I say that is because if you're Notre Dame or you are a Notre Dame fan, because you're at the game, you rush the field, you're a Notre Dame fan. That feel like that's a safe assumption. You want your team to be able to play games. For them to be able to play games, they have to have and win. They have to have all of their players available. There are going to be the, with the thousands of people that were in the stands and the outbreak in the country. There is a chance somebody has it, regardless of whether they're asymptomatic or not. Rush the field. They're all around the players. All of that. I mean, 10, 20 minutes. Huh. So the idea that someone from Notre Dame could get it, 
then spread it to their teammates and then you can't play football is a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. I mean, I don't think that there's any negotiating about how bad of an idea that that is because if you're a fan, you want to see games, you've put your team in a position where you may have to miss a game next week, week after, or your quarterback may be out running back, whoever, which can cause you to lose football games. Come on, man. Like, let's just keep it 100 and keep it real. Well, I tweeted that out. And it got a little bit of pushback from people asking what's the difference between what happened at Notre Dame and people celebrating the election out in the streets. Okay. Do I think it's a good idea for people to have been out in the street celebrating the election the way they did? Uh, No, I do not think that that was a good idea. Granted, most people are out there in mass, all of that. Yes. However, it's not the optimal scenario because there were tens of thousands of people that we were seeing uh, out in the street celebrate. I get that it was a momentous moment. You were excited. But the difference between the two of those things is if you are a Notre Dame fan, you don't want Notre Dame football shut down. So why would you be around those players? Because truthfully, granted, these states, some of these states or cities may get shut down from what went on. But it's not actually taking away from what you actually want to see the most. Think about that. Um, And Notre Dame themselves, they have gone so far as they sent out a letter from the office of the president. They talked about how their fans had a disregard for their uh, health protocols, that they had too many gatherings over the weekend. And now Notre Dame has to, they are going to test every single uh, student before they leave to the holidays. Otherwise, their registration is going to be on hold. They're not going to be able to get their transcripts. They're going to lose priority for registration. All of that. Notre Dame has had outbreaks on their campus. Outbreaks on their football team. Had to miss, miss games. And to see them out on the field, that is a problem. They have gone so far as to say there will be a zero tolerance for any gatherings that do not comport with their health and safety guidelines on or off campus. Those found responsible for hosting such gatherings will face severe sanctions. We've already seen people kicked out of schools, everything for this sort of thing. And Notre Dame recognizes how bad of an idea that is. And remember, their uh their priest their their president was at the white house got coronavirus everybody was mad at that was mad at him and now the students go on with that that's why leadership matters so much that's why the difference of when you saw lane kiffin in the beginning of the season wearing masks you saw jeremy pruitt wearing a gator on his head except for in his except for covering his mouth and his nose but then you see Nick Saban with Alabama mask up professional doing the right things. That's where leadership matters. People follow their leaders. Now we, we just finished having, well, we still have a leader of the country. Wouldn't, wouldn't wear masks. People out in the streets gathering. Hmm. Leadership matters. Cause he's holding rallies. All that, that means leadership matters out in the world. 
and it trickles down because whatever the person at the top does trickles down same way it is in families that I've talked about. If I do the right thing and my family follow order, do things the, the right way, my family is more likely to do it. If I am causing chaos in my family, there's more likely to be chaos in the lower ranks. Come on, man. Um, there's also chaos at the university of California, Berkeley or Cal, Cal golden bears. They had their first game of the season against Washington canceled and their season is on the verge of being derailed by the city of Berkeley. And they're going to have to move to be able to play football. So Stanford in the beginning, uh, before they got clearance, they had to move from San Mateo County so they could even practice before they got clearance. The Pac-12 instituted its daily antigen testing to prevent the outbreaks and to isolate when there are cases. Cal had one case of coronavirus on the defensive line. Everybody gets knocked out from the whole D-line gets knocked out from contact tracing. They're holding all of their position meetings outside. And granted, I'm on board with contact tracing, all of that. But the problem is this. You have one positive case. Game gets canceled. The, the city of Berkeley says that even if those people test positive for 13, because their, their standard is 14 straight days of isolation with tests. So even if you test positive on PCR tests for 13 straight days and the other person has been cleared already, you still cannot participate. What is the point in the daily testing and doing all these measures that the PAC 12 has put in? If one case is going to knock you out when the daily testing is supposed to be the thing that allows you to isolate tests and um, isolate cases the way you don't have outbreaks. And then when you do have a case, you send them, obviously you send them through the battery of cardiac and respiratory uh, testing, make sure that they are healthy, safe and continued monitoring. I, it, like the problem with the Pac-12 didn't do, which they obviously couldn't because they're in different states, is have a conference-wide guidelines for the contact tracing and the quarantine protocols, which are the root of the problem right now. Because it's not the amount of cases. It's the contact tracing that's knocking people out for weeks upon weeks. So if Cal has one more case, it can be the third string uh Third string wide receiver, third string tackle, doesn't matter. The whole position group is probably going to get wiped out and they're not going to be able to play. I, it, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, I'm a common sense person. I've been, a, if you look at my timeline, I was a person that said they shouldn't be playing until you get daily testing. Now that they have that and you have respiratory and cardiac testing before they can return to competition. I'm in on that, but I can't be in on nonsensical ways of like manufacturing them to not play ball when you've given them the green light to play it. You it's clear. The city of Berkeley doesn't want them playing. Next thing up, 
the MLB, Major League Baseball, is weak as hell. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, has no power. And he reminds me of the, the comedy, the sitcom, The Office. There was, an, there was an episode called Basketball. When Michael Scott, he challenges the warehouse workers to a basketball game. He bets them. He says, oh, whoever loses has to work on Saturday. And at the end of the game, his team's up. He fakes an injury. His team's up. And he's like, yo, no, no, no. Game's over. We we won. Y'all got to work on Saturday. The guys walk up on him from the warehouse. They're bigger than him. Kind of, they intimidate him. And he's like, no, no, no. I was just joking. We'll work on Saturday. My, my group will work on Saturday. He got pumped. And that's what's happened with Rob Manfred. This is the second time. He's like the parent with no discipline. The, the person has got no boundaries. He's worried too much about what the kids or people are going to be mad at him. Too much worried about that. He talked all the trash about, oh, we have our protocols and all this. The Astros cheated. A.J. Hinch got fired. Uh, Alex Cora got fired. Corey got rehired by the same team that fired him for that implication. The Red Sox nine months later. What? You didn't do anything like you and you didn't punish the cheating ass players. You didn't even really investigate or pretended that you didn't that uh, Jose Altuve wasn't wearing a, a wearable device. Come on, man. And now Justin Turner on my Dodgers violated the protocols after he tested positive which you screwed up your testing you let him play in a game when he didn't have his damn test back this is stupid they have no power and the, and the players are just laughing at him because they know oh we, we can do whatever the hell we want to do now nothing's gonna happen nothing is gonna happen justin turner didn't get suspended didn't get fined. Not a damn thing. And everybody watching it knew it was wrong. Damn. MLB Rob Manfred. Weak as hell. Weak as hell. You, you don't have any standards. You don't have any boundaries. I know it was the World Series. I know that he wanted to do it. He earned it. But when public health is in the way, it would have been different if it were just his teammates on the field but you got people other people's families on there because he had been around his teammates at the game all of that you have other people's families around you're sending a message out to the world baseball you failed on this one absolutely failed last thing up is my parting shot my parting shot is about the election not about who won or lost the one thing I am happy about about this election the flag is the fact that I got my flag back. A flag had been hijacked. Couldn't feel good about seeing it. Felt like it symbolized something that I didn't represent. Now I can fly my flag. I'm an American. Am I Reister or am I wrong? I'm probably Reister, but if not, peace out. Catch you guys on Wednesday.